Welcome to Canada's podcast. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. No matter where you are, when you are, uh, just welcome to Canada's podcast, the Atlantic Canada version of entrepreneurship. And uh, we talked to some amazing, amazing people in the Atlantic Canadian region and just hear some great stories and so on. And look, I'm, I'm rambling because I'm, I really don't even know where to start with explaining the amazement, amazingness of the of my guest today. Don Hashe is really a pillar of the entrepreneur space in Atlantic Canada. He has been very instrumental in helping many organizations not only find their way to success, but then helping them, guide them, get them to those levels of high-level success that that they all strive to be. Um, Scale-ups are key to his focus. And, uh, and uh, of course, with most organizations in Atlantic Canada, anyway, I guess right across Canada, that's a, that's a fundamental challenge. It's easy to start. It's harder to scale. And so those are some of the conversations we're going to have with, uh, with Don today. He is on a, he based out of Moncton, travels to uh, Tampa, Florida for, for business also. Um, a couple of years ago, Don, you were futurepreneur mentor of the year, if I remember correctly. So not only a businessman, a business coach, an executive coach, but also a great um, you know participant in contributing to uh, to other entrepreneurs and helping them to uh, find that success too. So, so Don, welcome to Canada's podcast. Oh, thank you, uh, thank you very much. I love the energy you're giving today to this podcast. Thanks, yeah, well, we're uh, we're we're great friends and we're great associates, uh, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. So I, I went back and I took a look at your LinkedIn profile. I'm gonna, you know, I, I you, you first of all, ladies and gentlemen, Don Hashe, you got to check him out on LinkedIn. He's got just amazing, amazing. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, sorry, uh, background. And by the way, his initials. This is one thing: is that business professionals frequently frequently comment that Don Hashi's initials DH stand for designated hitter. Now, tell me about that. What <laughs> what does that mean, designated hitter? Because you know, a designated hitter doesn't play in the game all the time. But uh, why would uh, why would uh, many business professionals uh, reflect on that? Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great thing. It's a funny joke. It goes a long way, but uh, you know, Rivers. The you know, I'm I'm a big. Well, I'll get to that question quickly. But I'm a big fan of team led business, and I'm not a very big fan of hero led business. Not a word. High performing jerk, and I was one of those mm. high performing jerk. My first business, and I quickly learned that no, in order to scale at, at any levels, you need to empower the team. That said, you also need a person who comes in and assess a strategy so somebody to execute upon. This is where the professionals in my business for the last 30 years have called me as a designated hitter. When you need a strategy that somebody can execute on with confidence, this is where I came in. Mm. So, but now that said, um, like I said, I just said earlier I was a high-performing jerk in my first business. <laughs> um, um, that is not be, to be confused with designated hitter. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I think if you're going to have somebody on the line when it comes to a World Series, you want the designated hitter, not the high-performing jerk. So so I thought that was so cool that, you know, that, that, that one, you've referenced that in your bio. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, a great, great lesson there in getting your bio noticed. Don't do what everybody else does. Zag when everybody else zigs. Don knows I like that phrase. And so, uh, so I love that you did that. But basically, Don works on basically works intently with CEOs and business owners who are frustrated with the lack of accountability and communications within their leadership teams by aligning execution to strategy. So Don, first of all, I'm going to presume you deal mainly with organizations that are a million plus in revenue. Is that fair to say? Okay, cool. And I want to set the alignment at, and you know, Entrepreneurs, whether you're startup or at that stage, remember you're going to get to that stage, and so you got to be prepared to to get to that level. So, first of all, Don, how does an organization even get to that frustrated level that the CEO it doesn't? There's a lack of accountability uh, in communications within the leadership team because obviously they had to start and grow. Where does it start to fall apart? Great question. You know, it's startups are a great pillar of our community. You need to be a startup in order to scale up. Where does it start? It really starts pre-scale up or pre-startup. Sorry, uh, you know, the entrepreneur he or she was has a great idea. You know, it, you know, it's got something going. They're going to start a company, and unfortunately, most startups will focus on getting 100% right up front before they can start scaling or selling their or their wares or services or product. The frustration comes into play because that person is what I just said earlier is a high-performing jerk in the company. They're the man, they're the woman, they're the queen bee, they're the so on and so forth. And they have not put in place a proper communication plan or cascading it down to the next level of the company where they need to be. So that said, the entrepreneur, whether it be a startup or launch or a scale-up, has to be able to look around the corner and say, what's next to be needed in this process for this company to go to the next level? And usually lies with the entrepreneur itself. You know, they have to look himself in the mirror and say, hey, how do I communicate this? How do I get this information to the next level? Am I the right person in this seat to actually be the strategist or am I more of an executional mind? There's two different mindsets here happening. Strategy is terrible execution and executions are terrible ex- as strategy. Mm-hmm. So this is where the communication is very important. That's why I say a strategic execution, aligning execution to strategy is required. And that's a very big fundamental of communication of your strategy. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. So it kind of leads into my next question very nicely. What is a CEO? What is the what what is the role of the CEO in an organization? And you know, I'm a startup guy. I'm not a scale up guy like you are. And I just see, I, but I, I think the reference point is still relevant to whether you're at any of those levels. But I see so many startup entrepreneurs. You know, the guy or the girl says, I'm the CEO. And they have no freaking idea what it means to be a CEO and to uh, achieve what, what CEOs need to achieve. Can you talk a bit about the definition of that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm biased on the answer I'm going to give you right now. It better be a startup launch or scale up. Again, I'm using that term. The CEO has the same responsibility. He or she has the same responsibility. Just three things. First, you have to be predict- able to predict the future. And it's pretty darn hard to do to these days. But yes, as I said earlier, what's around that corner? You know, what's the future? 
Secondly, they have to be able to delegate with purpose. Delegate in the grand scheme of things is not an easy thing for a person to do, especially mm. for a CEO. And third, they have to communicate the hell of what they're doing. Yeah. And that is it. So that's the definition of a CEO today. Or so yesterday. delegate with purpose. What, can, you just, can you describe that? Can you kind of expand on that a bit? Yeah. So the delegation process with purpose is, first of all, you have to be the, the CEO, the CEO, he or she has to be able to communicate their, their, their strategy, their vision, their dream, call it that way. Right. They, let, they have to let the team execute on that vision or dream. You want to use that term again. The purpose is this team has to be purposely aligned to that vision. They have to be able to co-create that vision going forward. And so is, that, is, 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 sorry, is, that, is that the disconnect that happens when, when we talked about initially it's your bio? Is yeah. that really where the, the disconnect, of where they get frustrated? I, why can't they see what I want to do? Why can't they do what I, what I see? Is that exactly. really where that happens? Yeah, exactly. There's a huge disconnect there for many people. And it's, so for some of them, they can't get over that disconnect. You just can't seem it, see it. So it's, again, it's now the CEO, to answer your question more succinctly, the CEO has to be able to be able to predict the future, where we're going. You have to be able to, to delegate with purpose. Delegate with purpose. They'll have that purpose and that core purpose, that core vision, fully baked in, if I can use that chefurial word. Fully yes, baked sir, in you there. can. <laughs> <laughs> fully baked in there. And then, therefore, communicate the hell of that vision going forward. Let that team make this vision come true. So, so when you say predict the future, dude, that's a, that's a so much easier said than done. How does one predict the future as a, as a, as a, as an effective CEO? Right. So the CEO has to be a very uh, people smart or visionary smart as well, where they have to be able to see what's happening out there and how to let high level say, well, what's happening here? What's happening there? Why is this happening? And find a way to differentiate their, themselves and their company going forward. Right. The predicting of the future for me, uh, this is why I enjoy doing I, I, I can't stand status quo, EDHD, whatever you want to call it. You need what's coming around the corner. What can we do something better is one thing, but how can we do something different and go after that 1% difference in the marketplace to differentiate ourselves to be better at? So to predict the future is that, hey, you've got your vision, you've got one or two or three priorities for the next 12 months, you've delegated this with purpose to your team. Now you go, okay, what's next? Right. So predicting the future starts with you understanding as to where you want to go as a CEO and then putting those resources in place. Okay. So, you know, I, you know, the great Jim Collins, the good, the great book. Uh, is that a philosophy that you follow about getting the right people on the bus and then the right people on the right seat on the bus? Absolutely. You know, Jim Collins is the great saying is you start with who first, not what, what not what, where, not how. It's who, mm. and that's people. That's your culture. You start with who, then you go to the what, and then where, and how. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so how does you know? This is the other thing that I uh, you say the who. I work when I'm working with entrepreneurs. I remind them it's not about it's not about positions. It's about roles. Can you talk a bit about? That and say, I mean, the you know the the, the great Steve Jobs. He, he the only reason he put a title in his cards is because if you read his book, is because when he went to Asia, that was a representation of respect for position, and people were looking for it. But he but he particularly did it in the lower case. 
because he didn't want people to get tied into the title. He wanted them to just fulfill responsibilities. Can you talk about that from a leadership perspective as to one, how do you design that? And two, then how do you ultimately, uh, I guess, cultivate it so that people embrace their roles in a way that uh, it gets get the CEO and the vision they want? Yeah, great. You brought that up. You know, it's I, I like the way you framed it. So let me just take a step back. So roles and responsibilities is a great part of the frustration of CEOs. You know, for some reason, the roles and responsibility, clarity of the scorecard of the individuals in the company is another frustration, which comes into lack of accountability in discussion we opened up with. Mm-hmm. Now, the beauty of the CEO, in this case with Steve Jobs, yes, he did it based on the culture-based event, which is you know, a very smart, intelligent person. He goes to a different country. He looks at the culture. He predicts where he's going, and he adapts. Right. Absolutely, right? Now, that said, what you just what you just laid out for us and, and the folks listening in is that the CEO is now is one thing owns the culture of the company. Mm-hmm. He protects, he or she protects mm-hmm. the culture of the company. So, so the title is either here or there, as Steve Jobs pointed us to us in his book and in his lifespan. However, the CEO has to inspire the rest of the company and the team and the, all stakeholders in that respect. So that's the culture-based, that foundation of the cultural base of the CEO. I love it. I love that you mentioned uh, uh, inspiration. I think that's a, that's a very key word uh, versus, you know, I've, I've heard say, the saying, you don't incentivize, you, you motivate, you inspire. And so... Can you can you dig a little deeper in that? Because I think that's so important in 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 you know in in our world we think that the way you inspire is to give more money, but as you know, that's way down on the pecking order of what people want. So again, leadership, lean in. Talk about that inspiration piece about some ways in which people can address or or, or focus in on that. Yeah, the inspiration is huge. As uh, quality of a, of a CEO, if he or she can have that as their. Uh, as their you know, the mantra, if you want to call it that way, the inspiration part of the business owners and CEOs, and, and whether you're a startup or scaling, is so important to your team. And it's like you just said, sometimes much more than money for them. Yes. Um, the the inspiration piece for any leader, whether you're a CEO or a leader within a, a leadership team, is a missing quality that people pray for these days. <laughs> And I have been craving for years. It's just we kind of forget what inspiration means. You can inspire people to do many, many things. Many, many things. However, how you use inspiration is very important. Mm-hmm. You have to inspire that. You have to use inspiration to guide what we call, and back to Mencioni and Collins, the big heritage's goal of your company to be had. Right on. So mm-hmm. it's all Talk more about that. Yeah, if you can inspire that leadership team or your, forget the leadership team, your whole company to align with the BHAG, Big Hair Radius's goal, everything you do every day, every decision you make every day has to be aligned with that goal. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Right? So that's a little bit of the inspiration that uh, when we're dipping into there. The BHAG is a huge part of inspiration if you can communicate it properly to the company. And how does, how does one go through identifying the BHAG? Yeah, of course, there's many ways you can do it. There's many tools out there that can help you. 
but it's an exercise you go through with yourself and your leadership team. Know, uh, know what is my big hero leadership goal 10 or 15 years from now. You know, now, many books will bring you to the original BHAG, which got a lot of, of uh, business people uh, going. Is you now uh, JF Kennedy's you know, A Man on the Moon in 10 Years. Mm-hmm. That was a big, hairy, audacious goal back then. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and lo and behold, ninth year and some odd months, they put a person on the moon. Right, right. right. So BHAG has a lot, of, a lot to play in inspire, inspiring your company to greatness. And it has a lot to do with making sure that you can go from the startup to scale up in a proper way. So, so tell us, the, yeah, the, I think that B, that BHAG mode is is bang on. And I mean, I, you know, a lot of a lot of we, we don't really talk about leadership a lot in the, in the journey of entrepreneurship. Um, we can't, we do, but we don't. We only focus more on cash management, customer acquisition, uh, more of those harder skills than the, than the soft skills that are important to really drive momentum forward. Tell us a bit about your organization. Um, um, I can never explain it because it would take me a long time to really share that value because what it is, it's, it's, it's so deep. Can you explain to us what you're doing as an Atlantic Canadian entrepreneur? Because this is a podcast about Atlanta, Canada entrepreneurs. So can you guide a little bit about your business and how you're leading it forward? Yeah, so our organization itself, I mean, we're a coaching organization with uh, multiple culture coaches deep. We are basically based a CEO plus leadership-based coaching company. We don't just do CEO coaching. We don't do just leadership coaching. We found the missing link years ago is that you need CEO plus leadership team in order to succeed to scaling to whatever that scaling means. So we we emphasize that we work with team-led business or CEO plus leadership team businesses. Mm-hmm. And we apply tools that allows them to grow as a company, but as, sorry, as a leadership team, as a CEO, and as a company. And we break it down in basically five steps. You know, but basically, we start off with a, uh, a culture-rich company. We instill the culture. What is the culture of this company? And we evolve to the fifth step where we want to take the CEO and convert him or her to a coach. Mm. Novel idea. Mm-hmm. The CEO as a coach. Inspiring mm-hmm. the rest of the company to go forward. So that's mm-hmm. what we do in a nutshell. Now, what does that, does that mean? Well, it starts with foundation. We start right at the foundation. What's our core values? What's our core purpose? All that stuff, that soft edge stuff that people are going, ooh, it's pretty soft stuff, but it's mm-hmm. important. And then mm-hmm. we evolve in the, tra- in this, in the five-step process or seven-step process, depending on which process we use. And we just build that leadership team and the company where it's, you know, it's solid. So if you look at a company as a house or a structure, yes. you start with a foundation. Then you put the walls up, then you put the roof up, and then and then put the process or the things inside the house. If your foundation is not solid, eventually your walls will fall down. Right on. That's why we always say that foundation of culture is so so important. You know, when I hear when I hear uh, uh, few entrepreneurs make it past you know that eight year mark, that five year mark, and so on. Um, I got to think based on this conversation that leadership or lack of is one of the key uh, issues with failure or success 
as organizations move from that startup stage to that scale-up stage or that maturity stage. Is that a fair comment? It's a, definitely a fair comment. You know, and you know, whether you say eight years or five years, if you look at um, Scott Tannis, he's now a, I think, a Canadian uh, politician, not politician, but um, uh, I forget the term of it. But long story short, he used to run a company in Canada, very successful, sold it to an insurance company and exited and became a, a senator. There we go, senator. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he, used to, he he has, in the, in the book, one of the books, he has a, a, a visual that talks about the value of death of any type of companies from a startup to an exit, you know. And, and, and what's important there is that the, the, the crux of this visual, visual is that to put a system in place, you need to put a system in place to go over those value of deaths that occur. Now, in 2014, when this graphic was put out, there was less than, uh, sorry, there was less than 4% of companies that can make it over $1 million in revenue. Wow. Just think about that for a second. In $28 wow. million, $28 million companies back then, less than 4% uh, would make it over $1 million. And from $1 million to the next level is only 0.1% that can go over that $10 million mark. Mm-hmm. And in between this is what he called value of debt. And somebody will grow and then they'll fall in his valley without predicting what the future should be and what they need to put in place. The system. Right. So that said, this is what we're going to have to look at, at the whole part of that process. Sorry, my dog is barking here. No, it's the all good. Of the process. This age, man, it's kids, it's dogs, <laughs> it's sirens. Don't worry yeah. about it. It's good. It's good. So Just that- so we personalize it a bit. What's your dog's name? Precious. Yeah. All right, Precious. Precious, all right. Well, Precious shows up. We're cool. Precious yeah. is welcome, dude. Precious is welcome. Thank you. So, yeah. So, what, what I'm trying to get at is the graphics that Scott Tennis painted for us in 2014 in the book is that if you look at it quickly, you know, first of all, it's onerous. You say, oh, my God, and my revenue is only $1 million or less. I have to, I want to get, let's say, $10 million. What do I do? Well, does it take a year or three or five or eight? Maybe. The message I'm trying to bring across here, uh, uh, Rivers, is you have to put a system in place that allows you to overlook those, uh, project over those value of death. Right, right. The biggest barrier to growth for many any startups or any entrepreneur, I forget the levels here, any entrepreneur is right between the years. It's knowledge, learnings, market dynamics, leadership, scalability. All of that has come into play. I love it. And you have to think about that before you get to the next level. You do not want to think to how to scale my leadership team when you get to 10 million. You want to think about that when you get between one and 10 million. So you can overcome that valley. Is there do you see a lot of CEOs that are startups that are not qualified to be CEOs of scale-ups? Oh, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. There's a lot of CEOs like myself at the time, which are unemployable uh, human beings. So they start a company. Yes, and and he grow. By the by, the way, ladies and gentlemen, he, this man we're talking to right now was was almost into the RCMP. There's an interesting story <laughs> around all that. So the fact that he's a he's an entrepreneur is the exact opposite of structure. <laughs> exactly. So Sorry, just a side note. Sorry, <laughs> no, it's all right. It got me by surprise. You're right. I forgot about that. Um, yes, sir. You know the 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 the. the I forget the question now. You got me off track. What was the question? Yeah, the question was um, CEOs, are they oh, yes. uh, CEOs? The difference between startup CEO and a, and a scale up CEO? Yeah, well, really, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll 
there is a difference, but yet there's no difference. When when the pandemic hit in 2020, we we had a uh, webinar called, and I forget the webinar, but uh, we had a part of the webinar. We said, what's the difference between a COVID-19 CEO and mm. a startup CEO? None. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have to still grow the company. You have mm-hmm. to look what you've got now and go from mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You have to have a system in place. Mm-hmm. Now, an entrepreneur, and, and some, some of the companies we work with over years, Rivers, uh, give me a brief on this. You're first an entrepreneur, then you become a CEO. Mm. I don't know if you quite get what I'm saying here. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you're, you're, you're bullish enough, you're crazy enough to start a company, so therefore you're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Put your blood, sweat, and equity into this, and you grow it, and eventually you grow as a human being, and then you go into a CEO role. Mm-hmm. The difference between an entrepreneur and a CEO. Entrepreneurs usually do not follow rules. Mm-hmm. A bit mavericks sometimes, in general. And then eventually grow the company where they have to put a system in place, and they grow as an individual and they become a CEO. Yes, After sir. what we said about CEO earlier, predict the future. Delegate with purpose and message and communicate the heck of your message. That's what a CEO kind of does today and more. Yes. An entrepreneur doesn't do that. No, they what don't. What does an entrepreneur do? They just get the shit done. Yeah. That's what they do. And there's no, no rhyme or reason for it. It's they're trying to figure out how to play the game. I always use that analogy that business is all it is is a game. And, you know, I, I'd like to kind of take uh, but my, 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 my idol is Tom Brady, as you well know. And, uh, you know, Tom Brady started off playing the game by running around the field, didn't know what direction he was going in. He was just playing the game of football. And that's really is the entrepreneur just trying to figure out the game and they get better and better and better. But they also get better because they understand the rules and they understand the structure of the rule and they understand strategy on the rule so that they can really play at that professional level. But there's a lot of structure at the top of the top from the NFL. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. on, on that game, is that, it just brings to mind a great game of business. Jack Stack is a company, is a CEO in the U.S. of different companies, but he also started, uh, he wrote a book called The Great Game of Business, amongst okay. others. But cool. The Great Game of Business is a wonderful book. And he talks about all what you just said, the mini games, this, the structure. Uh-huh. You know, everybody in the company has to understand what the company does. Did you have a good yeah. day? That yes. goes back to your opening comment. Now, the frustration of lack of communication and accountability. Right. Uh, that's all part of business. Yes. And most entrepreneurs, this is where they fall apart. You cannot communicate that to the next level. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so simple to say it, but interesting, so difficult to actually practice it. Uh, uh, I know you're a big advocate of regular huddles with your team. And that's what a, you know, one at one, what a great practice to put in place, but also what a great time to be able to reinforce what journey we are on. And thank you for that aha moment as I'm building chefatorial to the next level. I need to uh, really start to talk about that more versus what we're going to do in the next three days to help a client out. So I, you know, I, sometimes even I've been at it just for 25 years and it's easy to forget to do it because you get playing in that entrepreneur space versus the CEO space. So yes. I, I think that that's awesome that you brought that point up. No, um, exactly. The all important meeting rhythms or the huddles that you just made, made, and that's also hard. It's the hardest thing to implement in any company. Yeah. 
It's yeah. messy at first. People will fight it. And yeah. for many reasons, because of the fact that they don't want to be held accountable. Right. Oh. Right. Right. Don, what's the difference between a startup and a scale-up? Well, a startup is basically a person, an entrepreneur that has an idea for whatever reason, whether you know, he or she's been kicked out of corporate or, and I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> trying to belittle the, the, the entrepreneurs here, but. No, um, well, we should, no, they're most important people in society underneath the moms. Exactly. Sorry, they are the first. Underneath the moms. Yeah, they're the first responders of this world for business. Yes, right? sir. The yes, entrepreneurs sir. are. So the entrepreneurs are basically has a great idea, have been in some words, have been stuck somewhere for whatever reason and need to bring this to the next level. They want to get stuff done, as you just said. Right? Yes. And so the entrepreneur has that in mindset. You know, they figured out a way to do something better. They listen to the marketplace and they found a niche and they go for it and they gray for it. Now, the difference between that and a scale-up is that most entrepreneurs get stuck on making that product 100% viable versus good enough, as we call it, or 80%. Mm-hmm. And waste their time. So I'm trying to get that so polished and well done before to bring in the market. Now, I'm right. generalizing here, Rivers. But that's in a general sense, which still happens today. Yes, so sir. The entrepreneur has that idea. He's gifted. He or she's gifted. And they take a chance on the world and bet it and go for it. Get stuff done. Now, what they do after that is to scale up. They don't know what to do. After that. Well, they do, but they just don't have the systems in place and stuff in order to take advantage of the scaling up process. And this is where sometimes an entrepreneur stumbles or, or falls apart or unfortunately fails is not putting the processes in place to be able to scale. In order to scale a company today versus an entrepreneurial company is you have to first scale your people in order to scale your business. Mm-hmm. If you want to 10x your business, you have to 10x your leadership team. That's an easy button, of course. Okay, entrepreneurs got stuff, got an idea, get stuff done, they're working at it, and now, there's, now all of a sudden they're making revenue. But they forget one thing, what's around the corner? What do I need mm-hmm. to do next to stay mm-hmm. ahead of my competition? A scaling company has that in process in place. The team gets together, they huddle together, they have systems and tools. They say, okay, great. This is what happened today and yesterday. What we learned from today and yesterday, how can we make it different for tomorrow and scale advantage to you on that? Mm-hmm. But it comes it. down to systems. Systems. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I think it's a, a great way to describe it. And systems ultimately create the investment. If it's uh, just simply the entrepreneur, then it's just a job. And uh, one, you're going to burn yourself out. Uh, but two, you're, no one's going to buy your business because you're, it's not saleable. Not that they have to buy it, but it's not, it's not an investment. It really is just a job. So, so, so one thing we do terribly at from a Canadian ecosystem perspective is really focus on those organizations that one should be identified, but two are also ready to scale up. We do it. We focus a lot on startups, 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 but then we don't continue around uh, around first base and say, okay, now we're going to help you scale up. You, my friend, are part of a really cool initiative called 20,000 Scale Ups. Can you talk about that? Yeah, great. Great. Uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first base things analogy came from a, you know, a gentleman by the name of Frank McGuire, Francis McGuire. Okay. 
from uh, originally from uh, major drilling in Alcoa, but he you no, know, he he said it, and he's uh, in this public knowledge. That's why I'm sharing it. He said, "No, Atlantic Canadians are great at making startups and to get in the first base, but after that, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. No, and and it's okay. It's okay to don't know what to do, but you yes. have to know that you don't know what to do. That you don't know. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, totally. So, Segway to this, and this is where the scale-up initiative, the 20,000 scale-up, the global initiative starts up, basically. So uh, under the scaling-up uh, companies, coaches, uh, we have an initiative called 20,000 scale-ups. For the next five or 10 years, our big heritage's goal is to have 20,000 companies scale up around the world. So June this year, we're launching our first cohort in North America. Uh, Atlantic Canada, uh, Andy Biting and myself are teaming together to do the the 20,000 scale-ups in Atlantic Canada, and it's going to be launching June 6, 7, and 8, I believe, in St. Andrews. Uh, then I have another one in Tampa with Paul and I, in Orlando, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, and so on and so forth. So there's, tw- there's 22 cities this year that's been identified as scaling cities, handpicked, if you wish, by the scaling up community. So we're very fortunate and very excited to announce that Atlantic Canada has been one been chosen in one of those cities. So what we do is we put five companies in a cohort. This is a cohort-based learning. And there's a yes. reason for that. Now, because most times when, and also it's CEO plus leadership team as well, because most times right. the CEOs go out to learnings, come back to the company, and they go, oh, i got to cascade this down to the company. And they yes. looked at them and say, okay, what flavor did it A, boss? No, they just don't need to come back from there, mm. stuff like that. So now this cohort is the CEO plus the leadership team that meet with four other companies, five total companies in the cohort, and we learn together on the system we put in place by scaling up. Nice. The beauty nice. is you have peer pressure within the company, and you have peer pressure among the five companies in that cohort, and we learn together, so, and we and, and go from there. So I yes, uh, yeah. Thanks for asking. It's an initiative that we've been working on for the last couple of years. Finally launched it globally. And Atlantic Canada is amongst the chosen cities for this global initiative starting June. Well, no big surprise with your leadership, my friend. It's uh, it's 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 critically uh, needed, first of all. And I also think Atlantic Canada is prime for this. So, last question in this conversation today: What are you seeing for entrepreneurship in Atlantic Canada? What's uh, what's kind of uh, your sense of this is what's going on that's good here in regards to the entrepreneurship ecosystem. Man, you know, Rivers, there's such an opportunity for Atlantic Canadian companies right now. Entrepreneurs, scaling, or startups is such an opportunity. The pandemic has given us a gift. <laughs> People are laughing when we say this, but the pandemic has given us a gift. Yes, sir. It's allow us to focus on our backyards for the first time in a long time. You're right. Right. Look at a community, start buying local, whatever you want to call it. But not only that, the gift that it gave us, it gave us a chance to look at a different perspective. To bring global local is one thing. Yes. I always call bring global local. But also mm. look at different perspectives. Say, how can we build an ecosystem stronger, that, uh, uh, no, stronger going out of this pandemic Iran? Mm. That's the key. We want to be stronger and, and whole coming out of this pandemic. I know, I know that word's been used and abused, the pandemic, but there's such an opportunity right now for Atlantic Canadian businesses to learn right. from what happened and leverage this. 
And hopefully the last two years, the gift that the governments have given us in form of services, call it this way for now, to help us train our people, help us put systems in place, help put stuff in place that we can come out of this stronger than we came in. And there is a lot of opportunities for entrepreneurs planning Canada. I bring yeah. it to the analogy of anytime we go through a recession, get the word the word recession, but anytime we go through a recession, we want to be stronger on the way out to take advantage of the opportunities coming out. This is what's happening right now here at Atlantic Canada. Anybody I've heard you say, yeah, I've heard you say that before many, many times about coming out of the recession and it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity because it, it, it it, I, I called. I have really called uh, the pandemic as the as the the great equalizer, not the great yeah. reset, but the great equalizer. Because everybody was saying, "What do I do now?" And so the small guys and girls can compete with the big girls and guys in in such a way because we're all just trying to figure it out. So I concur, Atlantic Canadian. There's a there's a great ecosystem that's being further developed, but uh, I think entrenched. I mean, we see migration happen hugely towards uh, New Brunswick and and Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island, and uh, I don't quite know how it's happening in Newfoundland, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an upward mode for lifestyle. Period. Let alone just work style. So yeah, and if I can add to your, I can add to your question. Yeah, dude, go for it. Atlantic Canadian, Atlantic Canadians got to stop to be so darn humble. Ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. The the definition of humble in Lencioni's book and stuff is that you know you have to be comfortable enough to be vulnerable enough to ask for help. Yeah, don't be that jerk that we talked about earlier. Ask for help. Right. Yeah. So yeah, (laughs) I think that no, I think that that's very important to be able to. and, And here's the other thing. Ask for help because people want to help. That's the other bonus thing about being in Atlantic Canada. I find that with the entrepreneur space anyways. Most people are pretty open to help. But in Atlantic Canada, they are in particular. Don, um, look, as always, it's great to hang out with you. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't know, but I keep bringing Don back into my conversations when I want to bring him to uh, the value for audiences that I speak to. So thank you, friend, for continuing to bring just your your kindness and uh, your wisdom uh, and your journeys it's uh, it's um, just just fantastic we're lucky enough to have you in Atlanta Canada how do people hang out with you if they they're leaning in and they say okay I want to I want to hang out more with Don Hashi I want to follow what he's doing I want to learn from him and I want to connect with him best way is to they'll follow, you know, follow me on LinkedIn of course or just go to the website the the Okay, and uh, and all in my calendar is there. You can you know it's pretty full, but you can find a spot. You know I'm open. Uh, I'm, yep. I'm always gracious given my time. But you also, are. if I could put a plug on it, go to the events section. You'll see that twenty thousand scale up initiative right on the Love website. Yeah. Look at it. It's by invitation only. There's only five spots per cities. Uh, hey, uh, apply. Yeah, great, great thing to do that. So, so can you just can you just spell out your website address because you said it kind of quick. Yeah, yeah, and that's my French side of me. So the Celtron <laughs> Group, the T H E Celtron S E L L T R O N Group dot com. So that you go is. there. So the Celtron Group dot com. You go there. You can just call it events. You can see the events happening, or just connect with me on my on my website, and my calendar is there. You can book time with me to have a coffee chat or uh, stuff like that. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been doing business for 25 years, and I always keep coming back to Don for all kinds of reasons. And one of them is just that he responds. 
and is very gracious for this time. And I know that my my uh, journey has been en- enriched by by my friendship and my uh, having you as a colleague also, Don. So thank you, my man, for hanging out on Canada's podcast, Atlantic Canada. We look forward to the next time to give in a chat. Until then, we'll look thank forward you. to, to, uh, to seeing this going live. Talk to you soon, Don. Cheers.